Sorry to disappoint you So what was your expectation? Nah, I'm just an everyday dude Oh, you expected perfection? This is what Christianity is supposed to be like I make mistakes Like, lots of mistakes I'm just trying to do the best that I can do I guess I'm just imperfectly human Welcome back to the Imperfectly Human Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Daly, and I want to thank you for rocking with me for another week. Now, it's been a week of revelations. Stuff that's dominated the news has been the illness of King Charles. Um, they've been going on about that. Uh, my view, he's not the first person to get cancer. He won't be the last. Um, he says he wants to be transparent about his condition, but nobody knows what kind of cancer he has. Um, William is taking up his responsibilities I'm wondering does this mean he's on his way out and we might see an abdication from the throne and William stepping up not sure how I feel about that to be fair I just think I think William is a young Charles in the making Uh, not a fan of Charles not a fan of William not a fan of the monarchy to be honest but hey ho that's my perspective Um, Other thing that was being in the news quite a bit was around Brianna Gaze and um, the her mother breaking down in an interview and saying she has no she does not blame the the mother or the parents of Scarlett Jenkinson. Um, She treats what Scarlett did as something in isolation. She knows, you know, she says she feels she understands how difficult it is to be a parent. And, um, yeah, there was an interesting read around the psychology, uh, just the, what the psychologist that spoke to Scarlett Jenkinson said, and a lot of it likened her to Jeffrey Dahmer, that lack of remorse, that removal of humanity. Um, very interesting. She says that she doesn't hate Scarlett or Elliot, um, Scarlett Jenkinson or Elliot Ratcliffe, but she can't forgive them. And that's understandable. Um, so that's an, another one. The, the the other thing that's been on the news quite a bit was, you know, this corrosive attack, corrosive substance attack in, in Clapham. Clapham is where I grew up. So that was a bit mad to me. Um, my view wasn't random. think it's wild that the attacker is still on the loose. Um, you know, someone's clearly hiding this guy. Um, they're saying that it's part of um, the organized crime world. I don't know. I don't know. But someone's hiding him. But that's wild. But I do feel people should be reassured that it's it wasn't a random attack. This was clearly a targeted attack. But my heart goes out again to the victims of, of, of this attack. But that's, yeah, that's a roundup of what's been happening in the UK in the news. Before we jump into the show, I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't done so already, what are you waiting for? It's so simple to do. Head over to your favorite streaming platform, search for the Imperfectly Human podcast and hit follow or subscribe, dependent on the platform that you are using. It would be greatly appreciated. It goes a long way in supporting the show and helps us keep creating great content for you. We're going to kick this week off with a little bit of friendly fire. This week, 
I was talking to my boys. We were talking about mental health. Uh, it's not the only thing we talked about this week, but this was um, probably the most recent conversation and probably the one we went a bit um, in depth on. So I'm going to play a clip. It's from a guy, Dr. Bobby Price. And this is what kicked off the conversation. If you ask a man, if you are tired and you are lost, who do you go to? They usually say, I don't got nobody. Nobody want to hear that shit. And that's scary. I mean, I ask men who have wives this and they feel like nobody cares. And, you know, it's very important for men to get in tune with themselves so that they don't end up in those type of situations because they're scary. You know, like I've had in the last five years, two friends commit suicide. You understand? So, like, it's really important for us to start having these conversations around the pressures and the triggers that are pushing men into that direction. If you... So, um, that was the that was a clip, and it kicked off this conversation around um, mental health generally, and you know we we were like going back and forth about. Um, I think one of my boys basically said he kind of agrees, but he doesn't, and that. Um, let me see what what exactly let me <laughs> I, this is my problem i hate misquoting people um it's like he said it's not that he doesn't it's not about people wanting to hear it it's about getting it out and it's about men being confident to to voice how they're feeling so it got us thinking, we, you know, we were like, um, my, my other friend then said, well, a lot of men don't feel like they have a safe space to, to say what they want to say because they're going to be considered weak um, or not a man. So got, it, basically that, that was it, that kicked off the conversation. So my question was, well, should black men just get on with it? When it comes to dealing with their mental health, is is that what we're supposed to do? And, um, you know, I, I started doing some digging and one of the things that came up was like mental for, for black men, mental health um, within black. It says black men face significant mental health challenges, including higher levels of psychological distress compared to the general population. Boom. One. Um, access to mental health services is limited. So it says studies have indicated that black men in the UK may experience barriers to accessing mental health services, including stigma, cultural factors and inequalities in healthcare provision. Um, the one good thing, it says uh, the suicide rates amongst black men in the UK are generally lower compared to other demographics, demographic groups, sorry. There are concerns about underreporting and disparities in mental health support. So it could be that actually our numbers are a lot higher, but it's underreported or it's reported as something else. And then in terms of risk factors, it says black men in the UK may be at higher risk of mental health problems due to factors such as experiences of racism, socioeconomic inequalities and discrimination within the healthcare system. Um, and as I've said, my friend basically said, well, a lot of guys feel like they can't share what they're going through because people will consider them to be weak 
or call them soft or say, oh, you're not a man if they show vulnerability. And he was being specific when he said that a lot of men cannot share with their spouses their vulnerability um, and because their spouse would would react in that way of them of referring to them as being soft or weak not a man and losing respect for them now for me i've been i think since um 2005 I have advocated for men to be 100% transparent and vulnerable with their spouses. That is my that is my thing. Why? Because for me that level of vulnerability actually saved my marriage. In the early days my marriage would have been done for if I had remained the sort of man that I was at when I got married. When I got married, I kept everything to myself. I didn't talk about any of my problems. I didn't share. Um, and there were points where I had very dark thoughts. Um, I used to think about getting in my car and driving my car into a wall. I used to um, think life would be easier if I wasn't here. Um, I used to think, you know, just dark things. Um, And I believe there was one evening where my my wife found me um, popping pills, Um, you know, because I was, yeah, uh, I, I, not a proud moment. I'm not a proud moment at all. Not a proud moment at all. Um, I was that low that I just, I felt like I wanted to end it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to um, make excuses. And in all honesty, that would have been me taking the easy way out. That would have been me making an an excuse not to try and not to fight and not to try and figure out um, what was going on. And in that moment, we sat down and we had a conversation. And And that conversation led me to a process of learning to become more vulnerable and to share what was really bothering me it was that was the point when i decided that there would be no hidden parts of me when it comes to my wife i would be completely vulnerable and transparent with who i am so she knew my deepest darkest fears deepest darkest secrets and she was the person that i could be safe around the person that I could cry around if I needed to cry. I could let out those tears with no judgment, um, no shame, no condemnation, no guilt. I was free to express my emotions however they needed to come out. 
And that was a transformative moment in not just my marriage, but also in my life. Because it was the first time that I got to offload and unburden myself of all the things that I'd been bottling up. And from that point on, I became an advocate for men becoming vulnerable in their relationships. That it's not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. I've always advocated that this is a sign of strength. But um, as, as I started digging and doing some, you know, asking some questions. So within, within my friendship group, we have, um, we have this thing where, look, and I talked about this last week saying, you know, the, the, the beauty of, of mature bonds. But we are at a point where we can be so transparent. And one of the things we were talking about when we were discussing this was, well, is it that social media is the problem and people are, um, you know, allowing social media to shape them and causing them to have more mental health issues? Or is it just that these people have insecure personalities and it doesn't matter what what you put around them they are just not going to be able to handle it um and i'll, I'll dial back because i don't want to skip over there's there's a point i wanted to make but i don't but let me address them let me share some other information first and then i will go backwards uh so forgive me if it feels like i'm jumping around but um i did some research And I came across three reports. Um, One was called, so they focused on different things. One was called Catching Feelings. It was experiences of intimacy during during black college students' sexual encounters. Um, The other one was called Masculinity and Emotionality. Black men's perspectives on vulnerability. And the last one was um, understanding mental health, the mental, understanding the mental health needs of black men. Now, with the first report, it found um, it was it was, as I said, it was a focus on uh, black college students. So this will be in the US, um, their experiences with intimacy and emotional connection during sexual encounters. Um, It highlighted the desires for both emotional and physical intimacy while navigating societal pressures. And um, it revealed a complex interplay between a longing for vulnerability and expressing emotions openly um, due to societal constructs of black masculinity. And the findings basically pointed that um, the fighting basically said it was important to create safe spaces for black students to discuss and explore their um, healthy intimacy. Um, I would extend that to say that it it was showing that um, not just men, not just women, but men, both the, the boys and the girls of this study or the men and the women of this study requ- desired vulnerability 
there was a longing for vulnerability there was a desire to openly express their emotions but they didn't feel safe to do so um on the second study the masculinity and emotionality one it explored the li- the lived experience of black men regarding expressing emotions and vulnerability within the context of masculinity um and it looked at the societal expectations of so sorry it identified that the societal expectations of emotional stoicism and internal conflicts leading um and internal conflicts led to a difficulty in expressing vulnerability so the societal expectations of emotional stoicism and internal conflicts led to difficulties expressing vulnerability and um, I'm not trying to teach people how to suck eggs here as the uh, phrase goes but just so that everyone is on the same page when it says um when when we're talking about stoicism when we say someone is stoic it's a school of thought and it's basically character characterized um by not showing emotion if that makes sense it says um so the the definition is this for stoic of a of of or relating to the school of philosophy founded by zeno who taught that people should be free from passion unmoved by joy or grief and submit without complaint to unavoidable necessity so it's basically saying don't be happy don't be sad just accept that everything happens and keep it moving and that sounds very much like what black boys and a talk they talk black black men don't cry men don't cry men don't this if you're crying you don't, come on man up that's what that's what we tell young black boys um so that kind of made sense to me and then um it revealed that there was a deeper desire for emotional connections but um but the men in the study faced challenges in doing so because they feared judgment um and societal perceptions of them uh the findings emphasized a need to redefine the traditional notions of masculinity to allow healthier emotional expression amongst black men the last one uh understanding mental health the mental health needs of black men um it, it was so i believe again this was an american studies um it was a by the national alliance on mental illness and it examined the mental health disparities faced by black men and it highlighted factors contributing to the disparities including systemic racism a lack of cultural competent mental health or culturally competent mental health services and societal expectations of masculinity and um it discussed the impacts of mental health challenges on relationships intimacies including difficulties expressing emotions and maintaining healthy connections because obviously if you can't express your emotions you can't maintain a healthy connection um you know simple um and its findings called for an increased awareness 
um, more culturally competent mental health services and addressing societal stigmas to help black men um, access mental health. Because again, you know, in a black community, people say, if you talk about therapy, they say, oh, black people don't do that. Oh, black men don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do therapy. Um, we don't go to people to talk about our problems. Um, but that's the problem. We don't go to people to talk about our problems. <laughs> um, and I, I'm look, I'm not necessarily saying you have to go up, go to a therapist, but you need an outlet. You need a means of expressing those thoughts. In our group, we talk about how we all have insecurities, but our insecurities don't hold us back because we have our group where we share our insecurities or what's going on. Whether those are, uh, or if we have pressure in business, we share. If we have um, personal challenges, we share. And we, we consult each other and we ask each other's opinion. If we have um, questions from a relationship perspective and we just want an alternative perspective, we, we share and we ask. Now, that's not to say that, um, like I said, my first port of call is always my wife. Um, she is my confidant. I share everything. We, we talk about everything. So that is, I, I feel I am 100% vulnerable to her. Even, the, even in the moments where I don't want to share and I might delay sharing, I eventually share because she is my safe space, point blank. And my boys feel the same way about their wives. That's just the way it is. Um, but what, this, what these studies did reveal to me was that we have some significant challenges when it comes to mental health within um, the black community, for, especially for black men. Um, this idea that a man... A man's strength is found in not saying how he feels is, is just bad. It's toxic. It's culturally toxic. Let's just put it that way. Um, the other thing, so we got talking about, oh, 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 I did say I was going to go back to make a particular point. So let me make that point now before I go, before I move forward onto the next point. Um, when it comes to when it comes to relationships and marriage it is fundamental that a husband feels like his marriage is a safe space to express his emotions and to be emotionally vulnerable. Women claim they want emotional intelligence from men. But when a man expresses his emotions or breaks down and lets out an outpouring of emotion, he is deemed as weak or not a man. That is toxic behavior. It, there is no place for it. Because if you have joined yourself in marriage to an individual, 
it says biblically the bible says two have become one for this reason a man leaves his mother and father and is joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh two have become one why would you deny yourself of a safe environment to express your emotional pain or your emotional feelings or whatever you want to deem it as why would you deny yourself of that space because by doing so by denying your husband that space or by not letting him know that he has a safe space to do so you're denying yourself if you love yourself why deny yourself of a safe space and I got to expressing because one of my boys expressed this about, you know, oh, but some women just will, will treat the man as though they're weak. And I said, well, that woman is weak. She's childish. She is weak. If you cannot see the strength that it takes for a man to break down and let his guard down and cry and be vulnerable in front of you, then you are weak and you should consider whether you should actually be married because you don't have the maturity to handle um, a man expressing his innermost thoughts and his fears and his cares and his worries. Listen, the world outside our front doors for black men is a very traumatic world. We suffer trauma every time we step, we step out of our front doors from people um, looking at, at, at us as though we are criminals or as though we're going to rob them or we're going to harm them or going into the workplace and being disrespected and spoken down to and belittled as though we are not human sometimes or being emasculated by bosses because they feel they have the right to because they know you need the job. So they feel they have the right to disrespect you. We go into the workplace and we suffer microaggressions and we don't know how to react because of a fear of losing our source of income. Constant trauma we're approached by police and our immediate reaction is to clam up because hey when your face is black and you are male 99.9% of the time they don't want to hear what you've got to say you're already guilty and i've expressed this when i you know when i worked with the police i've expressed that the reason you have an issue within the black community is because you approach us as though we are guilty before, you know, it's guilty and then prove you're innocent rather than innocent and proven guilty. You don't consider us, you don't treat us as, as though, you know, we are, um, we haven't done anything and you're just inquiring. You, you treat, we're treated as though you have found a person that has committed the crime and it's now up to them to prove that they didn't do it rather than you, the onus being on you to prove that they did, the, they committed the crime. So how can we not be traumatized by the world around us? 
when we leave the when we leave our homes and step out of those front doors we are entering into a space that is constantly trying to strip us of everything that humanizes us so when we come home we find we want to be in a place of safety they say that your home is your is your castle a man's home is his castle well, I should feel safe in my castle. My walls are fortified. My, it's like living in a fortified town with built-up walls. I should feel safe. I should feel safe to express myself emotionally, to, to break down if I need to break down. And anyone that is within my four walls should accept me doing so. It's not a sign of weakness. But if, it's, if I don't have the safe space or safe environment to do it, if, I, if my marriage is not a safe place for me to let my guard down, then where am I supposed to let my guard down? With whom am I supposed to let my guard down? It's not a complicated question. And it doesn't have a complicated answer. So... That view that some women have, I'm not saying all women, some women have that a man is weak when he shows emotional, um, when he shows vulnerability. You clearly do not know what you are looking for because you are asking for emotional intelligence. And when a man expresses himself emotionally, you say he is not weak. You also lack emotional intelligence. Just my perspective on that one anyway. Um, anyway, so moving on, going back to what I was saying. So when I, I, I tried to do some comparisons between these studies and um, one of the things that popped up was that there is this tension between traditional masculinity and um, emotional expression. You know, the common theme within all three reports was this conflict between that black men face between expressing their emotions and vulnerability and adhering to these traditional notions of mass masculinity, ad, ad, you know, adhering to this notion that believes that they should be stoic and suppress their emotions. Um, to the point where within catching feelings it's talking about black men have this must appear unemotional during sexual encounters now when two become one when you are joined as one how can you appear unemotional during a se sexual encounter? Doesn't even make sense. Yet we try to make it make sense. So we are part of this problem. Because we're creating this, this construct where a black man has to, like I said right at the beginning, just get on with it. Just get the job done. Um, 
masculinity and emotionality um, explores that internal struggle. So it talked about deeper connections, but fear and judgment for not conforming to typical stereotypes. Again, that's that tension between wanting to share and wanting to express, wanting a deeper connection, but feeling that you will be judged for expressing that. Feeling like you will be called, so there's this term, a simp or whatever it is, um, you know, I don't know what these young people come up with all these new names, but um, coming up with being being called a name for wanting a deeper emotional connection. That's That's nonsense. And then we worry about and we complain and we say, Mental health matters. Black men's mental health matters. But we're not creating safe spaces for them to express vulnerability and to unload on their stresses that contribute to mental breakdown. Um, when we talk about the impact on relationships, uh, there are negative consequences. So you can't if you can't build... You can't build deeper connections when there is no emotional connection. Um, you know, we're talking about emotional suppression leading to feelings of isolation and therefore deeper depression and um, mental health issues. The societal expectations of remaining stoic and suppressing your emotions are feeding this ever-growing population of men, black men suffering from mental, il mental illness. Um, and then we started to talk about social media. What, what part does social media play? And one of my friends believed that social media was the biggest driver. Another one believed that... Um, it was more about our insecurities rather than social media. You know, it basically it was that insecure personalities um, were the reason. Oh, sorry. Let me let me put this into context. Let me put this into context because I don't want people misinterpreting what what was being said. It wasn't that. Um, People develop mental health because they were insecure. That's not what was being said. What he was expressing was that it was the insecurities that held people back from opening up to other people to express how they felt. And then that lack of vulnerability and opening up resulted in mental health issues. So we were kind of... We were saying, is it because that, you know, we're, we're subject, subjected to more or being bombarded with more of these false ideologies and reinforced stereotypes via social media? Or was it the fact that because we, we lacked or we were unsure of ourselves, we didn't express and open up? And um, so 
My friend that said it was social media actually turned around and said, well, actually he thinks it's a bit of both. At first, I argued that it was more about insecurities. Um, And my rationale for this was basically, you know, our insecurities um, drive the way that we behave. But then... I then took a step back and said, actually, well, our our insecurities are a result of our lived experiences and what we expose ourselves to. Given the example of, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've always said I'm going to keep it 100 and, and sorry, mum, I know you're listening to this, but... Um, if I talk about my personal experience, the example that I gave the guys was that growing up, being exposed to adult content created insecurities in myself as a teenager because I didn't have what was considered the, um, I, was, I wasn't that muscular built look I wasn't fat I wasn't you know but I was you know I'm I have a very um, slim frame and these are still insecurities that plague me to this day in terms of frame and um there are still sort of like insecurities around body image and it's very difficult to create a positive body image when you've carried a negative body image for so long but that's a completely different conversation anyway but being exposed to adult content created these insecurities because in adult content you see these male figures that look a particular way and the same for women that have been exposed they see these women that look a particular way and they are they are um positioned as being what sexy looks like what good looks like and you start you start to feel well I don't look like that so am I not up to scratch am I not considered to meet the mark and it wasn't until again as I got older and when I got married I carried these insecurities into marriage and sitting down and expressing my insecurities and my fears and my worries about my body image and certain and you you you, use your imagination damn it um but certain things i i expressed this to my wife and her comfort and reassurance and all of those things helped me deal with the insecurities and Lo and behold, four kids later, we're good. Um, But again, it was, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. We didn't have social media. So we weren't bombarded with that imagery in the same way as men of today are. Even being, so I'm of a generation that social media is, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got an Instagram account and I've got um, an X account and I've got a Facebook account. 
I can't tell you the last time I logged into Facebook. I can't... The, the only social media platform that I would say I, I frequent is LinkedIn. And that's because of my professional work. Now, Instagram, I may go on Instagram, but my content does not reflect the things that used to or would not feed the insecurities that plagued me. And also, as I've matured, I've started to accept my body and understand that my frame is my frame. So the whilst I may see a ripped guy and and you know think like damn I wish I could I could be ripped like that I don't get hung up on it because I know I go to the gym I know I work out I know I push myself now can I eat better of course I can eat better and would I see different results if I ate better probably but I know I know where my flaws are I know where I know the things that I'm doing that that result in what I see but the fact that most people don't realize that I am the age that I am also gives me confidence to know that actually I'm doing pretty good. So no complaints. So as I've matured, I've started to accept things and I've started to look at things from a different perspective. But I've always had that outlet in my wife to express how I feel. And she has the same. As even as, you know, as a married man and as you get older, you, you have fears where you, you might think that your partner may not be attracted to you as much. These are fears that you, should be, you shouldn't be afraid to express because they will cause emo- emotional turmoil that will either lead to you doing something that you shouldn't be doing or assuming that someone is doing something they shouldn't be doing and resulting in a negative reaction in your relationship sit down and discuss your fears openly with your spouse um so that was one thing so one of the things that i found interesting when looking at at the impact of so so sorry so I, i i guess i came to the conclusion that actually social media feeds our insecurities and I I did some digging and it does say that there is growing evidence that social media can reinforce traditional notions of masculinity. Um, And here here is why. So it it reinforces those traditional notions based on content. Um, You see there's a prevalence of hyper-masculine portrayals um, focusing on physical strength, dominance, aggression and sexual prowess. And these... This was this was studies done by uh, University of Pennsylvania and Rutgers uh, University. So they create social pressures. They make people believe that they have to conform or meet these ideals to be con- considered um, men. Now, the platforms use algorithms. And the algorithms will continue to subject an individual to the content that they have seen. So if an individual has, for some reason, clicked on a hyper-masculine, some content that is hyper-masculine, portraying, you know, some of these notions, 
the algorithms will continue to feed this and continue to push this content to them. This was this was um, the research, and therefore will will start to reinforce these masculine stereotypes to them. And this was study conducted by the University of Cambridge. Um, and then finally, the influence again when it starts when the research looked at the prominent male influences, they all embody traditional masculine traits. And their perceptions were based on those masculine traits. And and this is where we get into people like um, Kevin Samuels and um, um, Andrew Tate. And there are other people. But they have these massive platforms. And they have this wealth. And they have these things where they call themselves alpha males and all of this and they and because they look like they get the women and they've got the cars and they've got the money and they've got the lifestyle it makes young men aspire to be the same way that they are and they reinforce these negative stereotypes of what masculinity is so we end up in a cycle where young men are growing up and trying to emulate people that have no idea of what true or being a man really is. So ultimately, I think that social media plays a part and is part of the problem. Um, coming back to what kicked this off, I think that there is a level of self awareness that's required. I think. When you start to look introspectively and res- and focus on your values and what's important to you, you start to realize that um, you start to realize the importance of expressing yourself and being true to your to your feelings. In the sense of, let me not say. Because I, there was an interesting sermon I watched, and and you know, out of the heart comes lies. The 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 heart of man is desperately wicked. There's a scripture that says that. So our our hearts can can mislead us. I'm not saying that that everyone is wicked at heart, but you know, our hearts can mislead us. So there's this concept of being true to your heart or whatever can be dangerous from that perspective. Um, but. What I'm trying to say is that if you become more self-aware, if you do more, if you if you look internally, and when I say reflect on personal values, reflect on biblical values, ref, reflect on God says that you were created in his image. So no matter what you look like, God doesn't care about that physical appearance. He cares about the state of your soul. He cares about the, the, the you know, the, the part of you. That he made in his image. He cares about how you emulate and you reflect him in everything that you say and do. And when you start to focus on on the elements of, of what biblical manhood is, you start to forget about some of some of these things that you, you forget about these things that we see on social media. And to be fair, if you're struggling, I would say have a social media detox as well. But 
I disagreed with Dr. Price to an extent because I do believe that men cannot solve the problem themselves. Um, you need to vocalize and express your emotions. You need to talk to someone. And I do feel that that, so let me be, let me actually, let me put some context on what I'm saying. I don't necessarily, I can't say I disagree with him. So I take that comment back. I don't, can't say that I disagree with him. I, I can disagree with what on that short clip, because that short clip might have just been cut that way to make you believe that he, he was saying that men can only solve the issues by looking at themselves, which is part of the problem because that is basically um, expecting to find all the answers in yourself again when you have been joined to one person. You have been joined to, pers to a person and become one. You should be seeking to solve the answer um, and find the answer together. That's, so that's the point I was trying to make. Um, but yeah, that was... Uh, that was what happened. <laughs> I, I've been on friendly fire for way too long. Um, but anyway, it was an interesting conversation. And I hope someone took something away from that, uh, from, from what we talked about. This week's Daily Perspective. Um, this came about because I was watching this show called Run On. It's a Korean, it's a K-drama. And... For those who may or may not know, I'm in my K-drama bag right now. Um, I like... I, I'm a big fan of these Korean dramas. Um, I think they've got some amazing content. I know everyone went mad over Squid Games. I've never watched Squid Games, actually. Um, I've been on Korean dramas from... You know, I've watched different ones, like um, one called... My name, um, what, just a range of them. Uh, forecasting weather and love. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big, big, big romantic comedy guy. Um, that's that's my thing. Um, I love the ones that mix action with romance, with romance and comedy and all of that stuff. So Alchemy of Souls for me that was was the balance was just amazing. That was an amazing show. I was hooked. Um, but yeah, anyway, I've been watching these kind of shows for a very long time, but I was watching one in particular, the last show, I, the, the most recent show I finished was one called Run On, and there was something in there that triggered me big time, because it's something that I've seen so many times, and it's something I have personal experience with, and it's this thing where family members... For some reason, so it's and it tends to be the male's family that does this. It, it there's you know well most portrayals that I've seen and my, obviously I can only speak, speak from personal experience, but family members believe they they have some right to tell someone that they're not good enough for the family or to be part of their family or or they or when someone marries into the family they treat them bad or treat them a certain way because they feel as they feel as though they're superior to them and then they kind of try and make it sound like they're being loving and being kind but they're not they're just 
cruel and mean and vindictive and it's something that really really gets under my skin because I mean where do you get off telling someone that they're not good enough who made you judge and jury over someone to tell them whether they are good enough or not and it's so funny because I watch these shows and I I immediately saw the similarities between Korean culture and African culture specifically Nigerian culture they're both culture both cultures place this emphasis on title status wealth power you know there's a thing that I thought only Nigerians do where they'll be like oh engineer so and so oh doctor so and so oh lawyer so and so but Koreans do the same thing. They announce each other based on their career title. And if you don't have um, what's deemed to be a prestigious title, you're down the bottom of the pile. And people will discriminate against people based on their title or their status if you don't come from a wealthy family that's another red mark they ask oh what do her parents do or what do his parents do who are his parents just so we know what kind of family he comes from forgetting that As an individual, you may be nothing like your family. Are we saying that if someone is from a family where, say, the father was a fraudster, by default, the child is a fraudster? No. Does that mean that (laughs) <laughs> there's a, there's a, actually there's a there's a scripture around this in Proverbs, um, and it's it I I can't remember the, I can't remember the exact scripture, so forgive me. But I I you know, but there's a scripture that talks about storing up wealth and leaving the wealth to the next generation. But it says, but the one that leaves the wealth to the next generation does not know whether they will be wise or they will be fools squandering everything that you have stored up so again because you are intelligent and business savvy and you have the skill sets to to build and amass wealth does that mean that your child naturally does as well no because God gives different gifts to each individual you can't expect your child to have the same gifting as you It just doesn't work like that. So I see this thing and it drives me round the bend. And it it really frustrates. It's not even that it it angers me. It grieves me. It grieves me because a lot of people 
claim to be Christians. And I'm going to I'm going to put it that, that way. We parade ourselves around as holy and righteous people of faith. We put ourselves but we put ourselves up on a pedestal and we deem that anyone that is not of the same social standing is unworthy of talking to us. They can't be around us. They can't touch us. They can't eat with us. They can't sit with us. They can't walk with us. But then we still claim we are people of God. We still claim that we are people who are righteous. Oh Lord, let your blessings fall down on me. I will pray for you and this and that. And we go around and we parade and we say all these things. Some of us, some of them are even pastors. I mean, my personal experience. I had a family member. Say something so disparaging about my in-laws. And it was, it was just downright disrespectful. But they felt they had the right to say it because they had status. And they there was no there was no remorse in, in they didn't feel bad about saying it. They just they didn't see anything wrong with what they said. I take issue. And the thing is at that at that age I was I was young, I was Less than a year into marriage at that point. Or no, I, actually I was about a year into marriage. At that point, I was, I, I was, I hadn't figured out how to protect my wife at that time. I won't, I'm not going to lie. I hadn't figured out how to protect my wife. I hadn't really, I, I'd heard the words, I'd said the words, but I hadn't walked into what it meant to love like Christ loved the church. I hadn't figured it out. And I thank God for his grace because if it weren't for his grace, I wouldn't be here today in where I am 20 years married, 20 years down the line. Knowing what I know now. If it wasn't for his grace, I wouldn't be here. So I thank God. But just on what I'm saying, here's a scripture from Micah, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The qualities and the values that God emphasizes are not the same things that we we emphasize. We scream and cry and shout in front of God, but we lack the ability to adhere to the to the most important commandment. The two most important commandments that are predicated on love. What are they? Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Jesus said, on, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. 
and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But here we are. Here we are looking upon those who who are not as fortunate as ourselves. And and let me let me be clear because people will turn around and say, "Oh, but I love the poor. Oh, but I help the poor. Oh, but I give to charity. Oh, but I do this." But if if your son or daughter was to meet someone that was not of the status that you deem fit, deem fit, sorry, for your family, suddenly you don't like the poor. Suddenly you don't like the, the person that doesn't share the same educational status as you. Suddenly you don't like the person that's a plumber or an electrician or a builder. Suddenly you don't like him because he doesn't have a PhD or a doctorate. Suddenly you don't like him because he doesn't have a degree. Suddenly you don't like him because he drives a, a, a 20-year-old knocked-up car. That's rusty and makes loud noises. You're embarrassed by him. You feel like he will bring shame to your family because his status or her status is not in keeping with yours. Suddenly, you forget what it means to love your neighbor because your neighbor wants to come into your house. But I remind you of what we said before. Were we not all made equal? God made us in his image. He didn't specify that anyone was more valuable than anyone else. Genesis 1.27. So God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Your value comes from being made in the image of God. So it does not matter whether you have one pound to your name or one billion pounds to your name. Your value comes from being made in the image of God. Let no one tell you that you are not valuable, that you are not worthy, that you are not worth it. And... Psalms one Psalm 139, 13 to 14. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. How can we devalue someone that God fearfully and wonderfully made? Someone that was known to God in the womb. It says you knitted me together in my mother's womb. We believe that God intricately created each individual. Yet when, we, when these individuals stand before us because they have chosen different paths or because they were born into certain circumstances, because they were born into certain socio-economic demographics, um, 
circumstances they were born into a certain demographic because the color of their skin doesn't fit because the type of hair that they have doesn't fit because the shade or their complexion doesn't match what you're looking for because their parents do not have the background that you want we feel that they are no longer fearfully and wonderfully made and we can look down and speak down to them we feel like we can judge them Tell me how that reflects the love of God. Because I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to reconcile the two. When I think about this, it's interesting. When I, when I started working at um, Experian, Experian used to use a lot of offshore resources. Um, guys based in India and I would hear the way that people spoke to these offshore resources from India and they would be so disrespectful so degrading so just downright rude dehumanizing in the way that they spoke to them and I never spoke to anyone like that because I understood first and foremost these guys are human beings and I met a ton of beautiful people a ton of beautiful people um, but these guys are human beings trying to make a living Coming from difficult circumstances, being underpaid, even though they work harder than the count their counterparts or the people that they were working for here, yet they were being a paid a fraction of what these guys earned. They were being cramped into accommodation where they. They were, they were separated from their families because some of them had families back in India and they were being um, put into, these, into this accommodation in one of the worst areas of Nottingham. Four, five, six of them to a house. Some of them sharing bedrooms, grown men having to share bedrooms with another man. To come into work, to do a professional job and to be disrespected and spoke to as though they were nothing. To have individuals talk to them like they were something they scraped off their shoe. Where do people get the right to do that? Just because they don't look like you or because they don't come from the same place as you do they haven't been given the same privileges that you do yeah 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 some people want to want to brag about how they drag themselves up by their own bootstraps or whatever the phrase is but a lot of people are born into the families and the opportunities that they have there aren't many people that will that can turn around and say that they're self-made. And even if you want to claim that you're self-made, 
The Bible says that God is the one that gives the ability to create wealth. So guess what? You're not self-made. You, your, your wealth is a gift of grace. And the fact that some of you even receive this gift of grace, even though you, you do not know the God of grace, you should count yourself as lucky. Anyway, but let's talk, let's, let's, let's look at scripture. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God came for everyone. There was not, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for the rich. And that whoever believes in him, depending on how rich they are, they shall not not perish. That's, That's not what it was. Um, let's, let's just keep it real. We decide, we decide based on what we see. We, we decide based on how we look at people. We decide based on very basic characteristics. Um, Another one I love, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What did you do to deserve, your, to deserve the mercy that you have been shown? You didn't. It's a gift of grace. And if you truly reflect, want to reflect and embody the characteristics of Christ, you should extend grace to all. You should welcome all. When Christ came, he wasn't sat with the rich. He wasn't sat with the wealthy. He wasn't sat with those who had He was sat with the have-nots. He was sat with the beggars. He was sat with the criminals. He was sat with those who had been ostracized by society. Matthew 18, 1-5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he he called to him a child and put him in the midst of them and said truly I tell you unless you change and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and that scripture it's repeated again in uh, Mark 9 3 33 to 37 and they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house he asked what he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called, to, called the twelve to him and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. But we don't know how to serve. Because 
we believe we're superior. We believe that we have authority over everyone and we believe that we can speak to people however we want and we can treat in-laws however we want and we can treat daughter-in-laws how we want. We can treat son-in-laws however we want. We can inter- in we can interfere in their relationships because they are married to, to your son or to your daughter, daughter and you can speak to them in any way that you want because you are protecting the interest of your son or you're protecting the interest of your daughter. You can disrespect some the sanctity of someone's marriage. You can disrespect the sanctity of someone's relationship because it, because you have the authority to do so because you believe you are superior to them. You're wrong. You're not. You don't have whatever God-given right you believe you have. You want to be first in the kingdom, learn to serve. You learn to humble yourself. There's a scripture that says that, um, again, I'm somewhat paraphrasing, but you can go in and sit when the, at the banquet table and you can take the the. the the seat of authority or the seat of um, basically you can elevate yourself and sit in a certain place. But when the host comes in, he will see someone else and, and he will ask you to stand up and move you to the place of humility and honor those at the place of, uh, of and seek those people who were sat lowly at the place of honor. But it is but it says, but it is better for you to take the place of humility, and when the host comes in, he sees you and he says, Come here and promotes you to the place of honor. But we don't understand that. We don't want to live that. We want to live based on the basic things that we have acquired. We want to live based on here's that word again. Our, our idolatry, we're stuck in this idolatry. And people are going to go, oh, here we go again. But the mindset is a symptom of idolatry. Why? Because you are fixated on someone's monetary worth and status. This is a secular trait. Deeming someone's value and worth based on their monetary worth and their status, deeming their value based on their monetary worth and status is a secular trait. Yes, the Bible talks about working hard and it speaks against laziness. Working hard is important. But a lack of status and wealth is not an indicator of laziness. I would argue that there are more people born into wealth that are lazy than those who were born into poverty. So what does the Bible say? Because I want to make it clear that this, because some people might want to justify their their arguments or their positions about thinking about wealth and status. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Hey ho, here we go. No one can serve two masters. for For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
you cannot serve both God and money. Now, if wealth and status could not be an idol, then you can't serve it. But since the Bible says that you cannot serve both God and money, it means that you can serve your money. It means your money, your wealth, your status can be an idol. And that is the problem. When our wealth and status is our God, then we judge others by the standards of our God. And that is where we we feel we have the right to judge others and to deem someone unworthy because they don't fit the traits. Proverbs 11:28 Whoever trusts in his riches will be will come to ruin, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19 As for the rich in this present age, instruct them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Let them do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a good fortune for the future so that they, will, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Your wealth is not where life is found. Love, kindness, generosity, grace, mercy, compassion. This is where value lies. When you evaluate someone, evaluate them against godly standards, not by man's secular standards. James 2.5, listen my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and ears and hairs, ear to the front, ears, hairs, bleh, <laughs> of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him. There I was, yeah, you caught me struggling with a word, a pronunciation of a word. Hmm. Must be my, my uh, South London accent. Anyway, but the, the true source of value is faith. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? Keep putting your faith in your, in your status and your wealth and your riches. Keep judging people as worthy or unworthy based on that. Keep defining people's position based on your secular views. Matthew 19, 21 to 24. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, this word, he went away grieved for he had great possessions. If your money and your wealth and your riches are your God, 
you cannot inherit the kingdom of God because you already have a God, which you've already inherited your God on this in this secular plane. Luke twelve fifteen. Take care and be on your guard against all covet covetousness, covetousness. <laughs> Co- be on your guard against all covetousness. Ugh, that's a mouthful. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What we have, what we own, is not where our value is found. You could be missing your blessings because you are looking for value in the wrong place. By deeming someone unworthy, someone who was called to be a blessing in your family, someone that was called to bring life into your family, someone that was called to bring joy into your family, someone who God had positioned to elevate you and to uplift you and to bring peace and joy into your home. You run away and you replace them with someone who brings death destruction and misery and chaos because their social standing looks like what you're expecting you bring someone that has been dedicated at the altar of idolatry you bring someone that has been dedicated at the altar of death you bring someone that has been dedicated at the altar of wickedness and all kinds of um secular or demonic or occultism or cultist things but because their social status because their wealth because their family has a name has value in the secular world in the seculars from a secular standpoint you bring them in over the person that god had called for your child. You favor them over the person that God has called for your child. You favor them over the person that God has called to be a redeemer in your family. You miss your roof. And you end up with Delilah. In 1 Samuel 16, the Bible tells the story of where God sent Samuel to anoint the new king over Israel because he, 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 he was done with Saul. Saul was, was disobedient. Um, and God was like, ah, I'm done with this dude. Go, I'm sending you to the house of Jesse to go and anoint the new king. And Samuel walks in. And Samuel walks and he sees Jesse's eldest son, Eliab. And he's like, surely this is the one God has chosen. Why? Because he, he's big, he's buff, he's strong. He looks like a king. He anoints him and God says, that's not the one. And he repeats this process for seven of Jesse's sons. And God rejects them one by one by one. So he asks Jesse, 
have you got any other children? Any other sons? And Jesse is kind of like, mm, yeah, well, I got, I, got, I got my youngest, David. You know, he's he's out with the sheep. You know, he's he can't be him. And David and Samuel anoints David. And God says, that's the one. In the eyes of Samuel and Jesse, David was not the candidate. In the eyes of God, David was the future king. Stop measuring people by your standards and let the standards of God stand. And as men, let me let me wrap it up this way. And as men, as I said right at the beginning, at, the, at that point in my relationship, in my marriage, I was weak. I didn't understand my position to protect, to love and care for my wife, to make her safe and protected. I didn't, I thought I did, but I didn't understand because I, I allowed her to be taken into a den of vipers. And that sounds like harsh words when I'm talking about my own family. But that's what I did. But what does God say? Genesis 2.24 Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. A man shall leave. Physical separation. Leave. Emotional separation. Leave. Psychological separation. And they shall and shall be joined to his wife. Physical union. Joined. Emotional union. Joined. Psychological union. Separate from mother and father and join. That doesn't mean abandon, but they no longer have authority over you. Your umbrella of cover covering has started. You have stepped out from underneath the covering of your parents. You have taken your wife from underneath the covering of her parents and you have brought her into, into your, under your umbrella of covering and you have created your own family and you stand and you protect what God has given you. Let no one come between your union. Cut every tree of interference down at the root so it will never grow back. When they say the vows, let none put asunder. Let no one, I'm saying this to you again, fellas, let no one come between you and your union. Let no one come between your union. Because she is the one that God has given you. She is the one that God has joined you to. And I pray that no one in my family ever tests this of me. 
But I understand my role now. That I, I don't, I am not afraid to separate from my family to protect my wife. I pray none of my family ever test me. But know this. I am not afraid to separate from my family to protect my wife. Because that is my instruction from God. That is what I'm called to do. Protect her and to love her as Christ loved the church. So... (laughs) I'm not going to get into soul searching this week. Um, I think I've hit you quite hard with um, friendly fire and then jumping into the daily perspective. And we've talked a lot this week. We talked about some deep stuff. Men, there is a lot of responsibility on our shoulders. We are called to do a lot of things. But you are not alone in this journey. I keep coming back to this scripture today. Genesis 2.24 Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and he shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. You have a partner that you are joined to. The two of you are one. Do not hold back your feelings and your emotions from the one that you are one with how can you keep your feelings from yourself how do you deny love and safety and protection and care and vulnerability from yourself you can't use Wisdom. Disregard the wisdom of the world and focus on the wisdom of God. Use wisdom and understand that God gave you a woman to complete you. And therefore he has given you what you need. Someone to share, someone to help you carry the load. A helpmeet. Someone who helps you carry the burden. And um, when it comes to families, family unions, when you take a wife onto yourself, protect her. Protect your spouse. Protect your husband. Protect your spouse. Protect them from the judgment of your families. Let no man put asunder what God has joined. That doesn't mean someone has to come in and and be trying to separate you. The subtleties in how they treat your spouse. Those looks. Those veiled comments. Those subtle digs. The backbiting, the gossiping, the judgment, little things of disrespect. You see, these small seeds will bear fruit. 
And it's your responsibility to shut them down. Especially us as men, shut them down. Cut those trees down. Let people know that you will not stand for it. Do not be afraid to separate, to protect. With that said, I'm out of here. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Imperfectly Human podcast. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast. You can do this on your favorite streaming platforms. <laughs>